0: morning or maybe i should say top of the morning to you i just got back from ireland so if i sound like a leprechaun i apologize tell you what if i uh, if i if i'm asking you know if you hear me ask for like a bowl of lucky charms or something you know somebody calls security it's jet lag, I promise. So I just got back on Wednesday from Ireland and uh, was over there at a pastor's conference uh, and a great church uh, that will tell some stories on sometime and maybe they're going to come out and visit us and, and uh, I just tell you that the Lord is up to something in Ireland. You know, Ireland only has only 1% of the population of Ireland is saved. Doesn't that surprise you? Because you think of Ireland and you think, oh, yeah, you know, St. Patrick and all that kind of stuff. But I'm telling you, God is up to something really special in that country. And all these churches from Europe were there. And I think God's got a plan. And I have a sneaky suspicion God might have us be involved as well. So, how many of you think that's a good thing? We could do that. We want to be a church that impacts neighborhoods, donations. Hey, listen! I want to uh, dive into a little series, and uh, I'm going to jump uh, kind of right in this morning. I want to talk about something uh, that is uncomfortable to talk about in church, so I'm just going to do it. You know, one of my one of my jobs as a pastor, and it's actually probably my most important job, a role as a pastor, is to always point you back to Jesus always point you back to, hey, we're living out of another story. God has another way. God has another plan for us. And, uh, and sometimes we live in this world, and I don't know about you, but you can get, like, overwhelmed and feel the pressure and the stress and the anxiety of living in the world in which we live. And one of the things that I've noticed over the last few weeks, months, maybe even a little bit longer, is um, some stress around the economy. Anybody? Anybody stressed a little bit, even just a little bit about, you know, kind of income? I don't know if you've noticed, but everything's getting a little bit more expensive. You notice that? And, and and I dare not look at my retirement because that feels like that's going the opposite direction, that's like losing value, you know. And it can add all kinds of stress and pressure to our life and to our world. And so, what I want to do just to this week and next week, just a little two-week series, is I just felt like, man, it would be good for us as followers of Jesus Christ to come back to the Word of God and say, man, what does the Bible teach us about money? Money, 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 money. Shut the doors. They're running out of the building, right? Like, you know, (laughs) talking about money in church can be awkward. It can be, man, I don't know about you. Sometimes you can get a little bit defensive about it, you know. But uh, I want to take the next few weeks and just take a simple look at the Bible. And maybe there's some things in there that the Lord wants to teach us. And so I want to just take just some time to talk about money and possessions, because the Bible talks about this stuff a lot. In fact, the Bible actually talks about money and possessions, or the New Testament in particular, talks about money and possessions more than heaven, more than love, right? Which is really surprising. In fact, there were about 35 parables uh, that, that Jesus stories, that Jesus used to communicate a greater truth, and 16 of those 35 had to do with money and possessions. So the Bible seems to talk a lot about money, and I think the reason why is because God knew how much money would impact our lives, And on the one hand, we can kind of make an idol out of money. We can chase after it. And we'll talk a little bit about some of that because the Bible actually doesn't teach us that money is bad. But on the other side, it can create all kinds of fear and stress and anxiety. And so I want us to take a look at what does the Bible tell us about money and possession. So I thought, just to clear the air, break the ice, I thought the best way that we could start is that if you could turn to the person next to you and just tell them how much you make before and after taxes, it would just clear the air for everybody, wouldn't it? No, I'm kidding. I promise. I'm kidding. But but we recognize that the Bible, right, for many of us, right, there's this area of struggle, but the Bible actually teaches us a lot about money. In fact, one out of every six verses in the New Testament talks about money. Money's a big deal. Now, if I'm honest, um, when, whenever someone starts to talk about money, I can get a little bit defensive. In fact, if you are married, you probably know this, some of your best fights happen over money, don't they? Come on, let's just be honest in church. How many of you would say, yep, best fights happen about money? In fact, some of my least favorite words, because in our house, my wife, is she's the detailed person. She manages everything. I'm so grateful for her. But one of the, wor- the, the little phrases that I hate is, hey, honey, can we talk about the budget? <laughs> I'm out the door. <laughs> right? We can get defensive when we start talking about money. In fact, Gallup tells us that 64% of couples argue about money. And I would say that the other 36% are lying. (laughs) 54% of those whose marriages end in divorce cite money as being the reason. Money can lead us to get defensive. Money is a pretty big deal. In fact, to quote Charlie in in The Chocolate Factory, right? Money seems to be what makes the world go around. And we can get stressed about it. We can worry about it. Um, Do I have enough of it? You know, have you seen the economy? Look at inflation, man. It's the highest it's been in 40 years, right? And we can compare ourselves to other people, right? We can even use money to try to make ourselves feel better. Anybody ever done a little shopping therapy? I'm man enough to admit it. I have, right? And you know, it feels good for a little bit, right? And then you realize, oh, that really wasn't the answer to the problem, right? And so we recognize that money makes the world go round, but oftentimes we can get defensive about it. And there seems to be this direct connection between money and our hearts. And so what I want to do, my hope, honestly, I'm just going to put my cards on the table. My hope for the next two weeks is that as we look at God's word, that we might uh, just find a fresh perspective, that we might uh, be, walk out of here less stressed, maybe having more confidence in God, more freedom, more peace in this area of finances. And I think it's timely when I think about all the stuff going on in the world in which we live. And so here's my request for us. It's my request of all of us, myself included, because I've had to actually prepare for this, which means the Lord's looking at me and saying, hey, putting, some thing, putting a finger on my heart. Like, what if just for the next 30 minutes, we could just let lower the defenses... And just say, God, maybe there's something from your word that I could learn about money that might actually help me live more free, live with less, or less stress, be more at peace in this area of my life that affects every single area. And so there's this verse, Paul, he was writing this letter to the Corinthians uh, and, and he talks to them about money quite openly, actually. In fact, he actually challenges them. He tells them about this church in Macedonia that's giving all of this, and he challenges them about their perspective on money. But at the close of this little portion of the scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 11, he says this. He says, yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous. And, and I love that because I think that's God's heart for us. Now, don't mishear me and don't misread the scripture because sometimes in our American mindset and sometimes with our defensive mindset around church and money, we kind of go, oh, he's talking about prosperity, there it is. If you give, you're gonna get rich. No, 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 but that's not what this verse actually says. And nor is it my heart or the heart of this series. What it says is that you will be enriched. In other words, you will have more than you need In every way. And I want you to consider that if we were to align ourselves with what the Word of God teaches us, that that the enriching that perhaps it's talking about, and maybe there's going to be blessing of finances, I don't know. But I know this, there's going to be a blessing of peace. There's going to be a blessing of freedom. There's going to be a blessing of joy. There's going to be a blessing of delight. There's going to be a blessing maybe of ideas and thoughts and things that God wants us to be involved. Because as we align with God and the way he operates and the way he would want us to operate, I think there's blessing that comes. And blessing that touches and affects us all of our lives. But I love that little phrase. Because it doesn't end with, oh good, I get to be enriched in every way. No, no, no. The next phrase is, so that... In other words, there's a purpose, there's a plan that as I live out of the story of God, as I live and order my finances the way God would design me to, I recognize that there is a divine purpose that God wants me to involve, be involved in. And so there's a couple of questions. There's a couple of, sorry, realities that the Bible teaches us about money. And I think it's important for us just to lay the groundwork. What is it that is God's perspective through his word? How does God view money? And the first assumption or the first reality that I think the Bible teaches us is this, is that money is a tool. Money is just a tool. In fact, I heard someone say it another way, that money is a much better means than it is an end. And sometimes we pursue and chase after, and we make it the end goal, right? But, but the Bible clearly teaches us that actually money is just a means. Money is just a tool. And if it's a tool, it's something that we ought to learn how to use. Now, I'm not a great mechanic. I'm not really good at, in fact, um, some of you know, I was about a year and a half ago, I bought a house and there was tile, um, and, and the only tool I knew to have was a hammer, And so I'm just like whacking at the tile, you know, and I'm like putting, I had like a two foot hole in this wall, you know, and a friend of mine comes over and he goes, yeah, you actually need a little bit of a chisel and you're going to need a little crowbar and you're going to need a little bit more finesse than just whacking that thing with a hammer. And I realized, oh, there's other tools in the toolbox. I should probably learn how to use those tools. I might make a little bit less of a mess. Well, the same thing is true when it comes to money. Money, according to the Bible, is just A tool, but it's a tool that we ought to learn how to use the way God designed it to be used. And I love this verse. Paul, he's writing to a a young man that he's raised up in the faith and he's become a pastor. His name's Timothy. And he writes these words in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 10. Now, often this is misquoted, misheard, or partially quoted, but listen to what Paul told Timothy. He said this, For the love of money, is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people, craving money, have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. And do you notice what Paul says there? There's a couple of observations that I pluck out of the verse or pull out of the verse. He says this, The love of money is the problem, not money. Well, why? Well, because money's just a tool. But if I love this tool, and I'm so involved in this tool, and all I want to do is gather the tool, but I never use the tool for the purpose for which it was meant, I'm failing to recognize what it's supposed to be for. And so what Paul is trying to help us understand is, hey, money's a tool. We don't love, we don't want to have this love of money. We want to recognize that God gives us this stuff, and he wants us to use this stuff in specific ways and for his purpose. And so we recognize that the love of money is the problem, not money. In fact, Paul seems to be giving us a warning that there are some, when push comes to shove, will choose money over faith. In other words, you know, if I was to ask you the question, you know, how much money uh, would it take for you to feel like all of your problems were taken care of, right? You know, is it 10,000, 20,000, 30,000? In fact, I had a pastor friend out in band who used a similar illustration to this, except he had real money because he's way cooler than I am. And so he's just stacking, and he gets to like $100,000 on the podium, and he's just asking everybody the question, is this what's going to solve your problem, or is faith and trust in God what would solve your problem? And the reality is that we're all kind of drawn to this, Right? But but the Bible teaches us and God wants us to understand that money is just a tool. In fact, Jesus' perspective was this. In fact, Jesus was talking to his disciples and he was talking about the cares of this life. And he says to his disciples, you know, hey, look at the birds of the field. Look at the grass. They they just don't worry uh, about these things. And birds of the air, by the way, not birds of the grass, I think I said. But anyway, birds of the air, flowers of the field. There you go. I'm jet lagged. Give me a break. Anyway. And so he's having this conversation about cares. And then he turns to his disciples and he says this, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store up treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and the thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. And what Jesus is simply wanting us to understand is, man, money is a tool use it that way. It's a tool to be used for your good, for the good of others, and for the glory of God. And so we need to recognize that that money isn't evil. In fact, some worldviews see money and, you know, Buddhism, Hinduism, uh, they would see money or material possessions as being just inherently evil. That's not at all what the Bible teaches, the Bible just wants us to understand that money, it's not evil, the love of money is the problem, but money is just a tool that the Lord wants us to use. The second thing that the Bible, I think, teaches us is this, is that money takes our temperature. Money takes our temperature. I keep—I don't know why, but I was sitting in the service, and I'm, I'm thinking of Pastor Aaron, and one of his favorite Saturday Night Live skits is, I have a fever, right? <laughs> and what's the prescription? More cowbell, right? Anyway, I don't know why I was thinking about that, Aaron, but I just was. Anyway, that's my crazy mind. But money takes our temperature. So money, first and foremost, is a tool. But the second reality that the Bible seems to teach us is that money takes our temperature. It's a little bit like an MRI of the soul, right? Like, if you want to know what direction your heart's going, and I love that quote from John Wimber that Aaron used during the offering. Man, if you want to know where your heart's at, if you want to know the things that you treasure man, look at how you're handling your money. Look at how you're handling your time. Because money takes your temperature. We just quoted that verse. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. And so if, if money literally reveals the direction of your heart. And so if I'm concerned or, or, or you know, love for my kids, man, I'm investing into my kids right? If, 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 if it's my, for my spouse, man, I'm going to use some money to, man, go on a date. Let's go to the beach. Like I'm investing into the relationship. Why? Because money takes our temperature. Money shows the direction of our hearts. And so if these are two realities that the Bible seems to teach us, that money is a tool and money takes our temperature, what is it then that God is asking of us? And I think it's this. In fact, I think it's the word that we would use to describe um, the role that we're supposed to play. I think God wants us, recognizing that money's a tool, it takes our temperature, God wants us to be a steward. A steward. Now, a steward is just someone who takes care of somebody else's possessions, right? That that they're entrusted with something, they recognize it's not theirs. And they ought to take care of it. They ought to use it. They, they've got the blessing of being able to do that. In fact, a friend of mine, he moved to uh, Florida a couple of months ago, and he's a, he was an avid mountain biker. And you know there's no mountains in Florida. They say you can you know, roll a bowling ball from one coast to the other coast in Florida, right? It's that flat. In fact, he lives 29 feet above sea level and got a deduction on his homeowner's insurance because he's so high in Florida. But... He left his mountain bike, and this is what he said to me. He says, hey, I want you to take care of it for me. Now, what he didn't say is, hey, it's your mountain bike. He says, hey, it's my mountain bike. I want you to take care of it. He wanted me to use it. He wanted me to enjoy it. He wanted me to take it up Mount Hood and fall off of it, right? He also wanted me to clean the chain and the bike and wash it down after I'm done with it. Like, he, I'm a steward of something that he has given to me. Well, the same is true For our relationship with God and money. That God, in fact the Bible, we'll look at this verse in Psalm 24, it says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The people, everything belongs to him. Which means everything that you and I own or possess that we think is ours is actually a gift from God to us. And this is who God is. God creates this beautiful creation in the Garden of Eden in Genesis. And he says, hey, I'm entrusting. I'm give, it's mine, but I'm entrusting you to steward it, to take care of it, to nurture it. And he said, I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply. I want you to delight in this. I want you to enjoy all of this. I want you to use it for my glory, for your good and the good of all of creation. That's who God is. And God wants you and I to be those kinds of people who would steward well that which he gives us. So if God, if money's a tool, if it takes our temperature, and the role that God wants us to play is to be a steward, then I think that there's a couple of questions that we probably have to ask ourselves when it comes to money. The first question is this, is what role do I want God to play in my finances? What role do I want God to play in my finances? Do I want God's suggestions? Do I want God's ideas? Or do I want God's lordship? You know, the Bible teaches us that, that if we're going to be, and, and you know, we use this term follower, which kind of has this casual kind of, yeah, you know, if I feel like it, I'll kind of follow along, you know, I'll follow at a distance, all that kind of stuff. But actually what Jesus called his disciples, and that's the name that he used, but these disciples, these were fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, we use this term covenant. They were all in on Jesus. It's all or nothing. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Well, the question is this. If you and I are going to be fully devoted followers of Jesus, then it follows that we need to be fully devoted stewards of that which he entrusts to us. And I think that's what God wants from us as stewards. He says, hey, am I going to be the Lord of all? Or am I not going to be the Lord of all? Are you just wanting my thoughts, my ideas, my suggestions? Like, you're still in charge, you're still in control. Or do we recognize that, no, he's the Lord, he's the master, he's the one that gives us everything, and he entrusts us to it. He says, hey, I want you to be a steward. In fact, think of those parables that Jesus, the parable of the talents, right, the parable of the master who entrusted his resources, his kingdom to others. And then he comes back and he wants to give account, well, how have you handled the resources that I entrusted you with? And so this is what Jesus is asking us. What role do you want me to play in your finances? This verse, I've already quoted it out of Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. Now, can I just be honest? Sometimes I read that verse and I go, but wait, God, I worked hard. I'm the one that did the overtime, I'm the one that went to school, I'm the one that studied, I'm the one that did super good in that interview and got the promotion, right? And sometimes what we can do, because we're conditioned in the world in which we live, that it's about me, myself, and I, that we think it's all about us, it's all what we have done to accomplish. But this verse makes it really clear that the earth is the Lord's, that everything belongs to him, that everything I have comes from him. In fact, the Bible teaches us this way. Every good gift comes from God above. There's another verse that says that promotion comes from the Lord. Wasn't it the Lord that created us? Wasn't it the Lord that gave us the very breath that we breathe? Isn't it the Lord that gave us the talents and the abilities and the creativity to do the things that we're called to do? Now, we have a part to play, We need to be diligent. We need to be involved. But I want us to recognize that it's God who gives us these things. Just like my friend Ben Ben gave me this bike, I'm stewarding what he gave me. It's his. I mean, he could jump on a plane and come back tomorrow, and it's his. And in the same way, God wants us to order our lives so that we're saying, Lord, we want you first. In fact, I love Solomon. He described as the wisest and richest man ever to live. And he penned these words in uh, Proverbs 16, verse three. He says, commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. Commit to the Lord whatever you will do and he will establish your plans. Now, not that my wife and I sit down every week. We don't, we don't like sit down every week or every two weeks and kind of review our budget. But there are seasons in our lives and we will sit down and review our budget. And the first thing that we do is we have to look at, man, God, what role do you play in all of this? Am I, am I putting you at the bottom of the list or am I putting you at the start of the list? And what God wants us to recognize, and I think Solomon, the wisest man, richest man ever to live, he says, man, I want to commit everything to the Lord so that he can establish my plans. And so we need to be those who are saying, man, I don't want just God's input or I don't want God's just suggestions or ideas. No, I want his lordship, his mastery, his, his rulership over this area of my life. And so I want to commit this first and foremost to him. Now, obviously, I'm speaking to those who are following Jesus, and and honestly, maybe you're just exploring faith, and I hope that you discover that ALC is a safe place to ask those questions, discover those things, but if you're a follower of Jesus, I think this is a fundamental question when it comes to stewarding our finances. What role do you want God to play? Is he Lord, or is he just suggesting some things that you might take it or leave it? I think that's a critical question we have to ask if we're going to be good stewards. The second question I think we need to ask is this, are what are my goals and do I have a plan or a budget to get there? You know, one of the phrases that I hear a lot in life and maybe you do too, it's kind of a popular phrase right now around family and work-life balance and time, your time, your resources, maybe even your money, is this idea of, you've ever heard this question, hey, do you have any margin? Not margarine, margin, because I like butter better than margin, right? Margin. Do you have any margin? We love margin, don't we? I mean, it's why you don't like the middle seat on the plane. I just flew back from Ireland. Fortunately, I got, I always try to get the window seat, you know, because the middle seat, I'm just in an elbow war, right? Because there's no space. There's no room to breathe. Well, That's the question that I think we need to ask when it comes to what plan do you have in place when it comes to your money? And the Bible would teach us that we actually have to create some margin. Like margin is really important. And yet in some of the most important areas of life, uh, like our time, our relationships, and our money, we tend to live with no margin. Look at this verse. It's found in Proverbs 21, 20. I love the Bible because it's just real. Like the Bible actually has wisdom for these areas of our life. And it says this in Proverbs 20, 21, in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but the foolish man devours all he has. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil. That sounds like margin to me. It's the foolish man that just consumes everything. And so the Bible's trying to teach us that, man, we need to be those that live with a budget. We ought to have a plan. We ought to have some margin in our life. Now, no one starts the year, I mean, you, you know, there's probably nobody in this room, and I don't think anybody in America, husbands and wives get together, you know, or, you know, kids and parents. Like, I don't think anybody starts the year and goes, hey, let's see if we can spend more than we earn this year. Right? Nobody intentionally does that. But do you know that 43% of Americans live spending 15% more than they earn, which means they're living at a deficit every year. Why? Because they failed a plan. They didn't put in place a budget, a plan to help them create margin. And this is what I love. I mean, we've raised our kids. um, You know, we taught them at the age of 15, 16, you're gonna get a job. Um, That sounds really harsh, doesn't it? You're getting a job, you know? But there's some things that your kids are only gonna learn when they work for somebody else. Because how many of you know, employers can say some things that, they say the same things actually that parents say, but for some reason they seem to listen to the employer and not the parent, right? But anyway, the first thing we tried to teach them to do is, man, who does this, where does this come from? and, And what's the first thing that we should do? Give to the Lord. So we always taught our kids, man, give the first 10% to the Lord. So the first check or the first digital thing that they did, give that to the Lord, right? But then we taught our kids how to operate a budget. And Jenny and I have been doing this for 27, 27, we've been married for 27 years. And for 27 years, we have used a budget. How many of you, and because we started out this way, we started out using an envelope system. Anybody ever use the envelope system? Come on, loud and proud. Some of you, how many of you, do you still use an envelope system? I mean, who uses money these days, right? In fact, I was thinking about that today. You know, this title of this series is In God We Trust, but none of us actually use card currency. We just use cards, right? And so we forget that on our money, it says, In God We Trust, and maybe that's a little bit ironic, right? Maybe if we started using money rather than cards, it might remind us of who we need to trust in, right? Anyway, that's just an aside. But the point that I'm trying to make is that, that living with a budget is actually what helps create margin, room to breathe. Like I, I'm not worried. Am I going to have enough money to pay the bills? No, because I've been saving. I've been putting, pe- putting sp- uh, money into those categories. In the same way, it might be, man, I know I'm going to plan for a vacation or I'm going to plan for a car sometime in the future. Create a category. Just put a little bit of money into that category every week. In fact, that's why we're doing a lab on Wednesday nights. We started this last Wednesday night. It's not too late for you to get involved. If you'd love to learn to budget or just even talk to somebody, get some help with that, man, that's what we're here for. On Wednesday night, 7 o'clock right here, we're doing a lab on how to budget. Why? Because a budget helps create room to breathe margin in our life. Remember I told you my goal was to lift some stress, give some peace. We're not going to worry about these things. Budgets, and the Bible teaches us this, help us to create that margin. In fact, we need to, and I love this thought, we need to think less about today's happiness and more about tomorrow's readiness. And that's exactly what a budget helps us do. Look at this verse out of Proverbs 21, verse 5. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. And the Bible's incredibly practical. And this isn't meant to be any way condemnation or, or feeling shame or stress. or anything. We've all been there. What I'm trying to do is bring life and peace and just help us have a fresh perspective on how to live life, how to handle money. Because money's just a tool. Money takes our temperature. God calls us to be a steward. And so, what role does God play in your finances? Do you have a plan? Do you have a budget? Do you have something? You know, this is something that obviously uh, Jenny and I, you know, we've kind of lived our way, but you know, our church lives this way too. You know, we sit down every year and we, uh, with the elders and with uh, Pastor Dave, uh, sit down um, and we look at our budget. And we look at the year ahead and we begin to pray and ask, Lord, what would you do? And you know, it costs, I don't know if you know this or not, but it actually costs money to run a church. Like to turn the lights on and have this building and all that kind of stuff. Like all of that takes money. And so we want to be good stewards of what the Lord would entrust to us. And so when I started about 18 months ago... Um, I sat down with the elders and we had a budget. We have an amazing team of people that work on budget. In fact, Jen Prohl is sitting right here. Come on, give it up for Jen. She's part of our accounting team. Incredibly diligent because we want to be good stewards of what the Lord entrusts for us. And actually, last 18 months ago, when I first started, we actually came up with, we've got three pages of values that really do govern how do we budget, how do we plan. In fact, this year, right, we have operating expenses, and, and you're going to hear in a minute, man, there's stuff that we've given away, and I'm blown away by the generosity of our church and what's happened this year. But but it's I'm hoping that by the end of this year, we will be able to pay down. 20% of our debt as a church family. Come on, I think that's absolutely amazing. Like, that's a really big deal. What does that mean? Well, that means that that money that would have been paying down on mortgages, right, we can actually take that money and put it into people, put it into ministry, put it into giving away to other people to serve in our local community and around the world. That's what we're here for. We want to steward well what God gives us. So we take that stuff really seriously as a church family because we believe it's biblical and we want to help you do the same. And so we recognize that that what role does God play? Do we have a plan? And then the last thing is this. Are we exercising the generosity muscle? Now that sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? Because generosity is about giving away, right? And and yet we recognize that when we give, we look an awful lot like Jesus, don't we? In fact, God created us in his image, we are his children. And when we live generously towards other people, towards our community, towards the world in which we live, when we live that way, we're reflecting who God is to the world. And you know that makes God really, really happy. It's like, you know, when you see your kids, um, not the bad behavior that we have, right? But the good behaviors, you know? So proud moment as a parent, right? You know, when your, your kids reflect something that like, you've been trying to teach them about. You've been trying to exemplify. For years, you've maybe been kind of living that way. And when your kids start to operate that way, man, you're just beaming with pride, aren't you, as a parent? Because they're starting to get it. Well, that's exactly how God feels about how we handle our finances. That when we are generous, we reflect who God is, and God goes, that's my kid. Man, they're reflecting who I am to the world around us. In fact, you know, there's, there's this study, uh, and, and once again, there's a whole lot of stuff that I could talk about in the Bible. In fact, there's this verse out of Proverbs eleven twenty four. It says this, the world of the generous gets larger and larger, and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. And so we recognize that, that the Bible, there's something that happens inside of us when we choose to live generously towards God, generously towards others. You know, one of the top, it's called neuroeconomics. Um, I'm going to sound smarter than I really am, but I love Google. It's awesome. But there's this guy by the name of Bill Harbaugh, and he's one of the leading neuroeconomic professors in the country at the University of Oregon. So he's a local guy, and he's done all of this study on what happens to the human brain, what happens in the life of a human being when, and, and when they interact with money. And so there was this study done in terms of how a person operates when they operate in generosity. What they've discovered, and I want to make sure to get it right, what they've discovered is that those folks tend to live healthier lives, they have greater empathy for other people, um, they suffer from lower rates of depression, and they tend to live longer. In fact, when you give, right, science has proven this, when you give the happy chemicals, the oxycoton, is that the one? I, did, I wanted to be careful not to make sure. Oxytocin, that's the one. Uh, yeah, because I didn't want to do the drug one, the bad one. <laughs> oxytocin and dopamine get released in your brain when you start to give and you start to live generously. And it just, I think the Bible's right when it says that the world of the generous just gets larger, it's enriched, there's greater peace, there's greater joy, there's greater delight that takes place in the life of those who are generous versus those who are stingy. Now, it, that just sounds so counterintuitive, doesn't it? Like, because our world has taught us a story of Darwinism, right? This idea that it's, you know, preservation. It's the, it's the, you know, the strongest that survive. I've got to take care of me, myself, and I, right? Like, like, that's the story of the world in which we live. And so what happens is that this concept of generosity actually fights against the concept of self-preservation. And so we feel this tension that goes on Because it's like, man, I couldn't live that way. I've got to take care of me. I've got to take care of my family. And so what happens on the 1st and the 15th of the month in America when we get paid is that we tend to live this way. We go, I'm going to spend. I'm going to pay bills. I'll save some. And then maybe I'll give some. But what's so interesting is that the Bible actually teaches us the complete opposite. The Bible actually says, no, no, no. You give. Right? You save. You pay bills. And then you spend look look at look at these verses found in in uh, well matthew six thirty three it says "But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Honor the Lord. this is proverbs three nine honor the Lord with everything you own, give him the first and the best. And what we discover is that when we give him our first and give him our best, that in, it seems to an, in, it seems to kick into gear something that the Lord designed us for. In fact, look at this verse out of Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Rehearsing a little, just adding the next verse. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything that you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with wine. Now, if I'm honest, I wish it was the other way around. Don't you? God, if you give me, then I'll do it. Right? But hasn't the Lord already given us? In fact, I love what Pastor Aaron said during the, give, or during the offering today. What he said was that we're not giving to God. We're giving back to God. Why? Because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Every good gift comes from him. Every promotion comes from him. Like God is giving us everything. And what he says is, he says, hey, I want you to give a portion back. Does God need it? No. God doesn't need our money, but God's working something into our heart that is simply built around this idea of I'm not trusting in myself. I'm not trusting in this world system. I'm not gonna trust in my own efforts. I'm going to trust in God first and foremost before anything else in my life. This is what God has called us to. That if I'm a fully devoted follower of Jesus, then I'm gonna fully be a fully devoted steward of what he gives me. Look at this, and I'll close with this verse, I promise. First Chronicles 29, verse 12, it says this, Wealth and honor come from you alone. So where does all this stuff come from? It comes from God. I've got to recognize that first. But then it goes on and it says, For you rule over everything. But who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything that we have has come from you and we give, only, we, we give you only what you first gave And I think that's where God wants us to live. We take this so seriously as a church family. We believe this so much as an eldership and as a pastoral team. That this past year, in addition, you know, we're trying to pay down debt. We've got all of the operational kind of stuff that we got to take care of. Just being a church and employees and health insurance. And and just like you, all that stuff's rising for us, right? But this past year, over 12% of what was contributed was given away. I mean, that meant that, come on, I think that's awesome, and I think that's a reflection of who you are. You're a generous people that would allow us to be in that kind of position where we could say, you know what? We could spend this on ourselves. We, we, we need some new carpet. I don't know if you've noticed, but the carpet in the lobby has like, you know, free coffee means free coffee all over the floor, right? Like, like, there's some things that we need to do, but we're, we're not saying, no, 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 that's not what we're going to do. We're going to live in a generous way towards others. And, and that generosity, because we so believe that we're stewards of what God gives us, I'm not up here preaching to you, saying, hey, you got to give, you got to do this, you got to do that. I'm up here saying, hey, we're doing this as a church family. We're committed to this, that we're going to try to go above and beyond in generosity. We want to reflect the generosity of Jesus toward us by being generous to, the loca- to, to our local community and to the world in which we live. And so this year there's been a ton of stuff that we've been able to do. Why? Not because we have to but because we want to. And we'll talk a little bit more about that next week because I think the great delight and the great joy of inviting Jesus to be the Lord of my life is that he's the one that orders all of my steps. And so here's what I want us to do. I just want you to close your eyes and I just want you to just take a moment and just ask yourself, which of those questions, God, do I need to think about or to answer this morning personally? Man, if you're a husband and wife, can you just, just even hold hands? And just together just say, man, what, what are some what are some of those questions maybe we need to answer? Maybe it's the first question, which is, man, is he Lord? What role do we want him to play? Or do we just want a suggestion? It might be, man. I think we got to work on a plan, and maybe you've had a plan and you've let it slip a little bit. And now is an awesome time to say, man, we're going to be those who steward well what God entrusts to us. We're going to budget, man. Maybe it's the step was just, man. I'm going to come Wednesday night and kind of come and be a part of that. Maybe the question that you need to answer this morning is, man, am I exercising that generosity muscle? Like when I think of the generosity of God to me through Jesus Christ and all that he's given me. And remember, for some in the room, that's, man, a little. For some in the room, that's a lot. That's That's not the issue. The issue is just recognizing, man, God, I want to steward well. I want to live generously. I want to use whatever you've given me to be a blessing. Maybe this week, it's a small step that says, man, I'm going to pay for the person behind me. I'm going to pay for their coffee. Maybe it's, I'm going to, buy some groceries for somebody, or I'm going to jump in and take care of, adopt a family. I'm going to adopt a family this fall. But Lord, as we just close this morning, Lord, we close with a heart full of gratitude, recognizing that all we have comes from you. What can we offer you? It all comes from you. And yet, Lord, out of what we have, what you've given to us, Lord, we want to be those who order our lives in such a way that, Lord, you are Lord, you are King. We want your rulership and your lordship in our finances. Lord Jesus, we want to be those who operate a plan, Lord Jesus, who have a margin built in. Lord, we want to be those that reflect your generosity to others by being generous ourselves. So Lord, we bless you and we say thank you for the opportunity to be a part of a family that's choosing to live this way choosing to live out God's story the way Jesus showed us. In the precious name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen.